500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this G'day everyone, this is XBAN, the Phantom Podcast. Our website is chroniclechamber.com and you can subscribe to our podcasts via YouTube or through your favourite podcast apps. Do not forget to give us a rating on your podcast app and to tell a mate about us. Now, even though we are only a few weeks into 2023, we wouldn't be surprised if we look back at the guest for this podcast and the announcement that he's made this week and it all goes down as the biggest Phantom-related news of the year. Look, I am quivering with excitement about this podcast. I've been pumped about this since before Christmas. But before we get into it, I better introduce the, our usual co-host. G'day, Jermaine. How are you? Not bad. Are you big Kev excited? I'm excited. <laughs> no, all, all jokes aside, this this could be a game changer. And I fully expect this to be a game changer. So I'm really looking forward to tonight. Excellent. How about you, Dan? You're sitting there with a nice big smile on your face. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like we've uh, we've we've had the opportunity to talk to some really big name guests and that sort of thing over the over the time. Um, and probably before tonight, not a lot of people will have will have heard of um, of Ash. Um, and you'll introduce him in a minute. But uh, yeah, as excited for this podcast as uh, as just about any of the previous ones, I reckon. So yeah, just the the possibilities are endless. It seems. Mm. <laughs> All right, we've got some big reps on Ash now. Now, anyone who listened to episode 239, which was our reviews from the Vault podcast, you would have heard me make reference to a video game. Now, I wouldn't call myself a hardcore gamer, but it is something that I really enjoy. And I try to spend a couple of nights a week uh, relaxing with a controller in my hand. So you can imagine how excited I was just mentioning how excited. And look, I, I can't hold my hand still. Um, you can imagine how excited I was when just before Christmas, we here at Chronicle Chamber received an email about a new Phantom video game. And the, and I'm not doing any spoilers because it's in the actual title. And the author of that email is with us today. We've mentioned him already. G'day, Ash Nichols. How are you, mate? Good, man. Good. Thanks, Jens, for having me on. Really appreciate it. We are. It's all, yeah, the pleasure is all ours. Um, now, Ash, when we have a new guest on on the podcast, we usually start off with a, with a few get-to-know-you questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you cool with that? Uh, hit me. Yeah, go for it. No worries. Um, so basically, you, you seem like a young fella. How old are you there, Ash? Young. That's interesting. Uh, you're <laughs> the first person to say that since I tried to get into a bar a little while back. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I was born in 1980, so that makes me 42, coming on 43 this year. Yep. That's uh, good age. Nice into the demographic of this podcast. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's strange that you kind of still feel like you're a little bit younger most days. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Today's probably closer to 43. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the age demographic of the fans, and we're still probably considered some of the younger fans, so um, hopefully you'll change that. Well, yeah, that's something I want to talk about later on. We, we get into the, the, the meat and bones of uh, of this game is all of our thoughts behind demographic and all that sort of stuff because, yeah, mm. it is. It's really varied. Mm-hmm. Well, um, how did your interest in the Phantom come about? Uh, so my, we, we grew up like, I don't know, exceptionally blue collar, let's say. Uh, and my father sort of didn't really have a lot of toys and stuff when he was growing up. But the one thing he did give to me was 
um, a suitcase full of fandom comics, sort of circa, I don't know, around about the mid-70s-ish, roughly. So sort of um, all, all the furry stuff. And the first thing that happened was my sister drew all over them. So unfortunately, oh. they're worthless. Um, but yeah, that was my first introduction to kind of comics and my only kind of source for the comic books for a very, very long time, um, probably until the Tim Burton Batman movies came out. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's a whole world out here because, you know, we grew up with Star Wars and Ninja Turtles and things like that. So, But the fandom was always a staple kind of comic book. You know, he was comic books to me. That was it. Uh, and then in high school, early high school, uh, I noticed that in some of the classes, these kids were trading cards and there was like a shimmering purple going on in the background. I thought, what's that? And I went over to, I went over to say something to them because they were like the cool kids, you know, even though we were, we were the, the comic book nerdy kind of, you know, talking about Transformers and whatnot all day. Anyway, go up to these kids and they were trading phantom cards. And I, it was like this mind blowing experience of like, what you know the phantoms too. Uh, so that began sort of like a resurgence in my early teens of getting back into the Phantom. Uh, and then the first comic book store opened up in the town I grew up in and I begged them for a job for months, just like hung around, just harassing them. And they finally gave me a job. <laughs> it was like two nights a week and it was like $5 an hour. Uh, but I had a chance then to kind of delve into more of the comic books and kind of read as much as I possibly could. And that was also when the Phantom 2040 had come out too, but I think it was the DC run. And uh, so I was able to sort of get back into the Phantom again. So it's kind of, the Phantom's always been there in the background, sporadically sort of popping up as I sort of transition through life. Uh, so that's kind of like, pretty, it's always just been there, you know, and I had T-shirts and I had the posters and I remember some of the Glenn Ford posters that came out. And then, of course, the movie in the mid-90s, um, and you know, rocking up to the cinema and seeing it like the cinema only like a quarter full and feeling terrible, but you know, still sitting through it. It was good. I still quite enjoy the movie. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much um, the the Phantom throughout my life, um, at least until my twenties, I'd say, when I started getting more interested in other things. So, what do you like about the Phantom? That's a good question. I think to me, he's like, he's like Batman in, in the groundedness of the character. Um, and you know, I just get to know the, the, the Phantom more and you read a lot more of the comics. You can see there's like a little bit of like crazy stuff stepping in, like Stegosaurus and things like that. <laughs> but ge generally speaking, he's just, he's just a dude and the lineage factor is, is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it just gives the, the the whole series and the character so much depth that I don't think you find in a lot of the more modern, like all the all the modern characters. I'm going to say modern. I'm like you know Superman onwards would have an origin story, and the Phantom has that, but then he has this huge, huge swath of time uh that you can explore and you can think about and you can create your own stories in your head and of course that's what we did a lot as kids yeah um, but unfortunately for us kids there wasn't a lot of merchandise to back up the phantom in terms of figurines or anything like that so he he always sort of stayed in a certain realm of 
creativity and, and expression like the phantom is the comic that was it you know you didn't think of the phantom as a tv show even though there was of course the viacom series you didn't think of him as like a toy line that you could go out and play with in the sandpit but he was kind of always just there in the background i think in that sticking power especially with a lot of australian kids um that we didn't really talk about him a lot but then when you found another kid who knew the phantoms like that's you you're just friends instantly <laughs> you know yeah. we down in the milk bar harassing the guy for a dollar's worth of mixed lollies at one cent per lolly you know that's that's the kind of childhood i had you know it was kind of exploration and finding out the phantom was popular but you know within certain i don't know places and and you know like you wouldn't talk about it in the sandpit but you go inside and you read comic books together so that's the sort of thing mm. i think it's still like that in a sense as well very much so yeah yeah well we have had a, a recent boom with a few figurines coming out in this past yeah, but it's not really ones that you play with. They're still sitting on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one of the that's one of the things that really kicked off my. Um, we can talk about this a little bit later on. I think I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but the figurines and the new wave of Decker stuff was really kind of like a the the jumping off point for for me in terms of oh wow, people are still talking about the fandom. And what was very interesting about the Necker toys was. A lot of the reviews online were coming from people, young people particularly, who were like, I don't know who the Phantom is. And they're reading the, the description off the box like it was the first time they'd read anything about it. But they loved the character. The character has, mm. still has that appeal. And I think NECA did well in the sculpting and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it just goes to show the Phantom character as a visual, um, just as a, a, just the design, the visual aesthetic of the Phantom is appealing to a lot of more ardent comic book collectors there's a lot of people who are sort of entrenched in the Marvel and DC franchise. I think that comes back to the, just the simplicity of him um, and the enigma uh, wrapped mm. around him. You know, I think that's still very appealing. I also think the beauty about those figurines and the boss fights ones and stuff like that is that they tell the story about the Phantom being the original. Yes. So with... with it's very good branding. With, with um, the recent craze of comics and comics movies and stuff like that um there's a lot of there's there's an in, increased interest in you know what is the original what's mm. what's the forebearer to batman to superman and and, and stuff like that so well there's um, a lot of innocence wrapped in around the phantom as there is with like the rocketeer and all of those superheroes that sort of hit the screens in the 90s and you could argue that the innocence is lost in a lot of the Marvel's sort of universe where it's all about the, the spectacle and the characters have kind of been lost a little bit. The Phantom, it's all character. And I think that resonates a lot with comic book fans. It might be a little bit sort of worn out of the, of the, the whole current craze. Um, at least that's, that's how I perceive it. You know, it's certainly something that still resonates with me is the simplicity of it, not in a bad way. I think it's, it's very clever of King Features to promote the originality aspect. Mm. I'm still getting over the, the part where it was the cool kids who were trading the, uh, the Phantom character. <laughs> <laughs> this one kid had these luscious locks. It was like sort of Tim the Tool Man's kids, sort of like movie star look. And he had the coolest. He had like the, um, the foil uh, cards. Yeah. And I was like, man, I've got to get me some of those. There's a beautiful one with the Phantom riding on Hero and yeah. uh, over Sunset. 
and just looked so good. I, I hadn't even seen trading cards like that before. If you think about trading cards like the Ninja Turtles and things like that, they were just like dodgy cardboard with a stick of bubble gum. You know, like these were yeah. really well done. That's the yeah. Joe Jasko puzzle piece, the set of nine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I sold them all when I left to go to university, and I, only just when I started the fan project, I wanted to go back and buy everything I had as a kid. <laughs> you know, and of course, if they're still a reasonable price, yeah, usually get all right. I'm, um, still, so I'm, still, I'm still friends with the guy I sold all my cards to, us. So I'm like, oh, do you still want them? <laughs> I, I guess two quick questions. Did you become one of the cool kids after you no. hanged out with him? No. <laughs> no. There is no amount of, uh, once you get into high school, there is no amount of camaraderie around the phantom that can elevate your social status. Uh, <laughs> there's other you, things that can, but that could not, no. At least you had the courage to at least try. Um, Playing guitar was, was much better at that, but even uh, even though, you know, you can you can climb certain rungs, you can never get to, to the top if you start so low. Uh, I, I want to, I'm sure Steve's champing it a bit to get into the questions about the game, but just quickly, you talked about selling your, your Phantom stuff and all that. Are you buying Phantom stuff again now after working on the game? Yeah, so I spent two months in the United States just before Christmas, so from Thanksgiving right through till uh, just after New Year's. And the first thing I wanted to do was get a copy of the Super Nintendo 2040 game. Uh, so I managed to score one of those and for the Genesis. Uh, and then my lead developer, Billy, which we, we'll talk about him a bit later on, uh, he just scored like a, he's based in the UK. Um, he just scored a whole bunch of, um, comics and kind of made me jealous because my, you know, he's, he's overrun me in terms of like the comic cloud. Uh, so I've got to catch up a little bit, but we're going to be doing some posters and things based on the game and all that sort of stuff. So I'm trying not to collect too much just at the moment because I could like, hit overdrive yeah but definitely I, when i visited king <laughs> feature syndicate in new york uh sort of i think it was the first week of december they gave me the entire range of the defenders of the earth and the um the NECA first first edition toys uh, figures oh. so i've got all those um and i've got multiples of them now too because i bought a couple of them just online uh so yeah, i might really just keep a few of those the multiples yeah. are appearing <laughs> yeah yeah fact, I've, got a couple, I tried to, I, I've got a loose one here that i i tried to give my son earlier just to say hey this is the phantom but uh, he was not interested because it wasn't paul patrol <laughs> <laughs> uh so give, give it another give it another few months <laughs> um and so what's your position at, at out of play ash I own it and I direct it. Well, I founded it in, officially in 2013, but I've been doing uh, freelance game design and interactive design before then. But um, the contracts I had, one forced me into registering a company. I was a sole trader before that. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, where do people know you from? What, what's, what type of games have you worked on before? I've come from nowhere, guys. I'm coming out of the darkness. I'm stepping into the light here. Um, I'm stepping into the purple haze. Uh, we, when I say we, I say me and, and my lead developer who has been with Art of Play since the beginning, pretty much. Uh, we started doing uh, games for uh, the Clone Wars through Hasbro. So these were like really small games to promote the toys that were coming out because 
in 2007, 2008, there was a huge push for Clone Wars. Um, and I was working at a publishing house doing printed printed magazine pages um, for all these big brands. And I'd go around to Hasbro and Mattel and Moose and all these big toy guys and, and sort of sit down with their designers and work at what they wanted to put in the magazines, things like that. Um, and I went back to the the owner of the publishing house and I said, look, you, you're going to do gangbusters if you start a digital side of the business. You really need to be promoting multimedia and games because magazines are going to die out. And he was relatively, well, yeah, you go ahead and do it, Ash. Like, you know, fine, you know, <laughs> go off. So I went back to Hasbro and Mattel and Hasbro were very receptive. And we basically set a structure up where we would make games for them for whatever they were promoting at the time, featuring the toys. And then I didn't know how far I was going to go. So it was just like make some more money, prove myself to a publishing house, get a raise sort of thing. But Hasbro actually sent it off to LucasArts. And LucasArts sent me an email maybe two weeks later and said, well, can you guys start making games for our joint collaboration with StarWars.com and Hasbro.com? And I didn't have a team, it was just myself and, and another developer. I was doing all the design, all the animation. I was meeting with the clients, I was doing absolutely everything. So it's a bit daunting that we actually had to like start configuring ourselves to be an actual gaming studio. And of course the money wasn't huge. So there wasn't really an opportunity to go from zero to hero. It was like, you know, okay, I can put on maybe one extra person and you know, casual and get games made. But what sort of led from there was like a snowball effect. So we did a couple of games for Transformers, a couple of games for Star Wars. And Hasbro really liked it. And they were tracking really well. And these are just online games, right? So you know, there's not a huge amount of depth to them. But we, I, I got a call from, sorry, an email from a Hasbro's digital agency in New York City. And they said, can you get on the call with us? We want to chat about doing more content. And I said, well, it's funny because I'm actually in New York at the moment. I wasn't. I was <laughs> sitting in my underwear in my house. Um, <laughs> so... I, I jumped on a plane the next day. I flew to New York. and From from Melbourne? From Melbourne, yeah. yeah. This was like a Monday or a Tuesday, and I was in, because of the time difference, I still landed the same day, and I was like so proud of myself that I managed to <laughs> manipulate time to my desires. So, it's it's uh, almost like you didn't fib. Yeah, that's right. Like, <laughs> it is, isn't it? Uh, so I went from this weird position of, of just doing a few kind of like, you know, low key sort of games, nothing, nothing too much for paying the bills and just so happy to be making games and paying the bills and not having to do corporate work or any sort of website or other interactive stuff, like just games, it was great. Yeah. Uh, then, so <laughs> I went from that to like sitting in these marbled halls, these big statues, it was like the biggest agency in the world. And I'd written this, really kind of quick proposal like this sort of like not a proposal more like a presentation on the plane i so walked into this room and suddenly all these people i thought it was like with one or two people like 15 people in this room i was giving this presentation to and we left with with a contract for for two games so that kind of was like a, like a a real shift in in the company and then of course nickelodeon was based in new york as well so i said hey i'm, I'm in new york i've just been meeting with people do you want to catch up and that relationship bloomed from a two-game early contract to being uh, 12 games a year. So everything sort of like just went crazy, but it was all online stuff and it was all come up with a concept, pitch it, design it, animate it, develop it, uh, 
go, it went through QA, make sure it worked on like a dozen different devices that Nickelodeon was and Hasbro and everyone wanted, and then launch it all within the space of four to five months. And so we had a production line going of of all these different games in different styles too. Some would be in 3D, some would be hand-drawn 2D. And um, what we sort of became known for was uh, making the brand uh, the brand managers and the showrunners really happy because we were kind of really emphasizing the designs that were in the show in game form. You know, we weren't taking a 2D game and making it into 3D characters or vice versa. We were just sort of really enamored with the style and would keep it consistent for the game. So it picked up a lot of work. And so, so this was 2013. We didn't stop working on online stuff for Viacom until 2020. So it went seven years. We produced like 70 games. Oh, wow. um, and in that time, a lot of them got transitioned into apps, short running apps that run for two or three months and be taken offline again. And in behind the scenes where we got our Nintendo developers license, we were starting to make console stuff, but the sheer volume of work we we're doing for Viacom, because the Viacom family then expanded and we had Sony pictures, we had Paramount. So we were doing games for um, the, all the movies that were coming out for Paramount and all the movies that were coming out for um, for Sony. So we did like uh, uh, Spider-Man into the, into the Spider-Verse, um, you know, all the way down to Hotel Transylvania. Um, yeah, so we kind of put our heads down in 2013, lifted up our heads in 2020 and realised, oh, okay, nearly a decade's passed. Um, we've got our console licence. We need to start being serious about this because we will kind of be a bit burned out with the whole five-month release cycle. And we were kind of creating games not based on the actual budget that they'd given us, but sort of throwing all the game budgets into this big melting pot, especially for Nickelodeon, and sort of just saying, right, well, we've got a million dollars to work with this year and we've got to make this amount of games. Where are we going to prioritise that budget? And we've always prioritised it towards Ninja Turtles and SpongeBob and, like, leave all the lesser-known brands, less money. Uh, And that gave us the opportunity to do some very interesting visual stuff that we wouldn't have found in most web games and kind of elevate ourselves into this this state of like we should be doing console we have the we have the the the, the tools we have the knowledge but this you know we're kind of like a little bit i don't know uh loyal to the viacom family even though it's ridiculous but we were and um, then in 2020, they they merged with CBS and completely ditched all their online gaming, most of their app stuff, and just started selling licenses off to, to other companies. And we were in a position where we had to decide if we're going to spend a million dollars on a SpongeBob license or a Turtles license um, or go somewhere else. And we decided we, we didn't want to pitch for anything at that point. We are kind of burned out with the brains. We wanted to do something different. And, of course, the pandemic hit and the whole world slowed down anyway so there wasn't really a great opportunity for us to do anything uh so that's where we've come from in a nutshell um we this will be our first probably our first released console game but we have other console games in production um including one for the bbc that's in pre-production so you know we're going to be making a pretty huge leap in terms of the scope of the games but we were already doing that with a lot of the the Nickelodeon stuff to a certain extent. Like, obviously, 
we've done various engines to a certain level before, but we've not really taken it up to that next level, which is purely because of time. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I <don't know> <laughs> it was a very thorough question. Uh, very thorough answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and I've just, more questions as a, as a result of yeah. that. I'm sure just, still get yeah, just quickly. So you said a million dollars for a license for SpongeBob. Um, I'm, I'm guesstimating. But, it would be somewhere yeah. around that. You know, yeah. THQ Nordic bought a whole bunch of licenses from Nickelodeon for several million dollars. So yeah. um, it, it would be based on the pitch that we would do and the amount of consoles we're releasing it on all that sort of stuff but the the value to me was was i don't want to spend this amount of money have this amount of pressure to build a game that i'm not 100 percent interested in and it was a fairly um it, was, it came from a place of privilege especially during the pandemic where everything dried up we still had enough funds to carry us through because i've been very frugal with the business over a certain amount of time but it was still quite dire. We were like thinking to ourselves, well, if this goes on for another couple of years, we're screwed sort of thing. But we were also in this position where we didn't have to necessarily jump on anything and just do something for the sake of doing it. And it was kind of a bit fortuitous because it landed us where we landed now. Yeah. And we could have been stuck doing something that I was only 10% interested in, you know, 100% interested from a financial point of view, but no, I, I would not have been interested from, you know, a creative point of view. Yeah, and that and your work would have suffered because of that. Yeah, I, I, well, I think so. I think you've got to be, you've got your head's got to be in it. And, you know, we've been, we'd already been doing online and app content for ten years, and we'd already we knew the brands back to front. Every brand we worked on, we, we still like them, and I still want to play. I'm really looking forward to Seth Rogen's version of the Turtles. Um, but it's sort of there was another component too, and that was. Once you've stepped out of the commercial gaming side of things, which is what we did when Viacom kind of seized their um, the, the the machine of their online gaming side of their business, you start to wonder like what benefit you have in the gaming space, and also what benefit you have to the community. So we, you know, you can make 13 SpongeBob games, but they're 13 SpongeBob games. You know what I mean? Like, there's just this, it just seems like monotonous um, and not really contributing much to the world around us. And my, and my wife is in education and she's helping kids learn. And we, we sort of felt like, well, we're, all we're doing is distracting kids. <laughs> so we were quite lucky. We put our foot forward into a few educational fields and we, we landed a 10 game contract with AI, the ABC during the, that started during the pandemic. Um, and that gave us a real kind of sense of um, purpose for, for, for building the games. Um, and that was a big part of it too. Like you just want, when you stop and you, you look at everything you've done, you think, great, I've got, we've got a great commercial folio there. We've worked on the big brands. We know all the showrunners. It's been a great experience, but we're not really kind of giving much back. And, you know, that sort of landed us where we are now. So we, we took a little bit of a break. Um, and we were still doing commercial stuff on the side, but we weren't really 100% focused on it. And that's when we started doing these cold pitches and um, getting in front of people we probably would not have approached in the past. So is that where the Phantom came in? Yeah. So so I've been, I've been uh, checking out all of the YouTube videos on the Naked Toys. I was just fascinated by how good it looks, and I thought, wow, they're really stepping things up. And... 
like I said to you guys before, the, the, the general conversation around the toys, especially with the younger reviewers, was like, I don't know anything about the Phantom, but it looks cool. This is a cool-looking figure. They read the description on the back of the box like it was the first time they'd read anything about the character, which was hilarious and fun. And I thought to myself, this has got some possibility. And then I thought, no, there must, be, there must have been a Phantom game that had been released in the last 20-something years. Hmm. I had a bit of a search and nothing been released, and I sort of asked around. And no, I couldn't find anyone working on anything. So I cold reached out to King Features, and I, I said, look, you know, I'm a huge fan, have been since a kid. What's going on? Can we possibly start a discussion about this? And it was so strange to get an email back within a few hours. Oh, wow. To say, we're interested. What can you tell us? And we had a call with them and it was very well received. And I went away and wrote a 20 page manifesto. Less of a pitch, more of a plea. Uh, <laughs> and I explained the history. I explained the art style I wanted to use. I explained the story I wanted to go with. It's like 20 pages long. I gave a history of the company, where we've been, where I, where, what I think we can do with the brand. Uh, I wanted to leverage off that feeling with the Decca toys. Um, I wanted to bring newer kids into the Phantom. I wanted to give some justice to the older fans who've been waiting for something like this for some time, put it all into a document, hit send, and then did about six nervous poos. Um, <laughs> and, and luckily they weren't, they weren't too brutal on us. They came back pretty quickly and said, this looks great. Um, can we have another call? And then that started the, the, the dialogue, which, which ran for about six months. So, um, so that was 2021 then, Ash? That was the, it was the start of 2022. Right. Uh, and then we... It's going to be a, lots, a two and a half year project. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. We did a lot of we did a lot of early concept work and it was really uh, exploratory in terms of wanting to make it uh, really rich in terms of um, more like the cover art but then expanded into, into game form rather than how a traditional comic looks once you start turning the pages you know there's always that high level impact of a cover i want to translate that into gameplay have that same level of detail uh and so we sent some concept art over and, they, and they, that seemed to be pretty well received and then of course the discussions into um time frames and budget and all that sort of stuff started to kick in and you know, you're working with a big company, so you can get turnarounds within hours. Although that's how it started, it certainly then shifted into more traditional back and forth. Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks would pass and I'd be cold sweating. Oh, is this going to go ahead? I'm nervous, you know. And then we get an email and I'd be elated for like 24 hours, you know, like doing <laughs> dances in the garden and calling up everyone saying my life was great. And then, you know, so like dips and dips and troughs of excitement and sheer depression waiting for responses and everything. <laughs> Uh, and then eventually, so I got to, it got to December, and I think it was because I was threatening to come and see them face to face. They went, "Oh, we'd we'd, uh, we'd better finalise this." So yeah, I'm only joking. They, they weren't that worried about me, but um, I did go over there to, to King Features in, on the first week of December, and we uh, signed the deal, or at least we got the first official contract sorted. And then so yeah, is that December last year or December 2021? December 2022. 
Oh, okay. So yes. it's really, really fresh. Yeah. And we still had some negotiation to do with the contract that lasted another couple of weeks. So it was really only, I think the final one was signed just after Christmas. So yeah, we're, we're in early, early stages of pre-production now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a long process. Uh, anyone who's in this game or anyone who wants to know about making games, this is the, the that, that whole process is the worst part because the, at any point it can just disappear, it can be ghosted. Mm. Uh, companies can change directors, you know, new staff can come in and they want different things. Um, and we're kind of lucky that, that King Features sort of treated us, treated us well during the entire process and were really, um, interested in what we had to say and not so much interested in like, okay, well, you guys haven't done a console game before. Like we, we can't, we don't trust you. Um, it was like, well, we, we've talked to other people before and, and, you know, your ideas and, and, what you want out of this match our desires. And so that was, was really good. It sounds like they're, they're excited about the game. Very. Yeah. They're very excited. Um, we, I had maybe a two hour meeting with them at their headquarters in New York, first week of December, and we covered a lot of ground and I was very impressed by what they know about the brand and where they want the brand to go. Um, you know, obviously, they're a big company and they've got to look after multiple properties, but Phantom seemed to be um, a big factor in what they wanted to do. So, Are they yeah. are they involved at all or do they have notes on the development of the game or is it pretty much hands-off now? Or We just got feedback on the first round of conceptual stuff. So at the moment what we're trying to do is establish who the Phantom is going to be in this game. And we are putting together – because, you know, you can look at a comic book and I can give you off the top of my head now 50 instances of the phantom kicking someone in the head. But how do you animate the phantom kicking someone in the head? Or how do you animate the phantom running or moving? These are all things that have not been done. Right. Uh, so we have to, and what we've been doing for the last month is defining the, the phantom's agility, who he is within the game. It's really important that we get it right. We don't want him too cumbersome and, and lumbering around like the Punisher. We don't want him too agile and, and too sort of like um, nimble like like Spider-Man. So he's got to meet this sort of middle ground. And because he's sort of um, very muscular too, the animation has to be really spot on because you're essentially animating an anatomically correct, perfect male species right there's no clothing or hair or anything to sort of trick the people who are, who are playing or watching away from the imperfections in the animation so we've been that's been a big part of it and also the morality behind the gameplay and who we want the phantom to be in the game and how to tie that in with the rich back history of the character and not seem like you're controlling someone who's different from the comics you know we, yeah. we want the player to feel like Oh, we've just taken the Phantom out of the comic books and put him into this into the screen, and it just feels seamless. Well, as seamless as we can possibly make it. Um, I think the movie did that to a certain extent, and, and Lee Fox seemed to be pretty happy with with the way it went. You know, it was a little bit cheesy in some parts, but even then, you know, the way a movie is shot is very strict, and you'll see the Phantom only doing limited movements within each scene. Whereas a game, you can be running or walking for long periods of time. So you're really seeing how the Phantom moves and that's got to feel and how the Phantom acts. 
And that's got to feel super important and realistic to um, and keeping in with with the comics. Um, so that's that's been a big part just for the last month. So we submitted all that to King Features in a sort of four or five page summary, and they seemed pretty happy with it. The feedback we got was almost no- nothing other than looks great, sounds great. So we'll be keeping them in the loop in terms of I've actually got to draw up a milestone list and send that to them this week. Uh, I'm being very cautious on because um, you can always fall down the trap of showing too much or not enough and you get questions either way that can really slow down production. So yeah. it's it's at a point now where I've got to really make sure that our team um, does the best they can possibly do, but also how much I show that to um, to King Features is critical in terms of moving, keeping the project moving forward. So they will be involved, I would say, to the standard level that most of our clients are involved in the process. They'll see an alpha build, a beta build, uh, pre-launch builds. They'll be hands-on with the other stuff that we're doing with some of the visuals like the box art and things like that. But the day-to-day running of things and week-to-week is not going to be sent over. We'll, um, we'll have some more, um, some control over that. So you just mentioned sending them pages and, and written stuff. Have you been? Have you? Are you in a situation yet where they've seen, or in a position yet where they've seen any actual animation? Five seconds of the Phantom walking, or or anything like that? They've seen the concept art for the Phantom, both in color and in lineup, and we're more, more concerned about the proportions and making sure that they liked the overall look of the Phantom. Yep. They have not seen any of the animation yet. Yep. Um, just Friday, I have received enough from my team to put together a full character sheet for the Phantom, and that will be sent over to them along with um, the full story, which has been completed now, uh, which we can talk about. That will go over to them, but that will not be something we'll be waiting for feedback for before we move forward. We'll just sure. keep moving forward because they've approved the overall look of the Phantom. So I'm 100% confident that the movement we've chosen is right for the character yeah. um there's nothing really to pit it against anyway so it's kind of you know <laughs> I, you just have to kind of just like trust your gut instinct on this and and, and say to yourself you found you found the right balance on things um and of course i could show it to the fan base and get a million different responses but i'm pretty sure <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure it's going to go over well with them too because you know we've you know a simple like the phantom walking for example we've spent a week discussing how the phantom would walk it's insane but i mean that's the sort of level that we're at with with the character at this stage and of course there's the morality side of the phantom too because you know the the use of his guns specifically and how to integrate that into the gameplay that doesn't feel like we're restricting the user the player but also keeping in mind with the fact the phantom uses his weapons pretty much as a last defense you know um there is that morality clause and king features have been very um uh, very strict with us on, and rightly so, about the, the morality that the Phantom has and always trying to negotiate a, 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 some sort of, you know, like using his, using his fists and his weapons as a last resort sort of thing. It doesn't necessarily bode well for a game because you want to be punching people. You want to be using your weapons. The um, so we've been, we've been trying to find a, a balance there. Yeah. So you've talked about concepts you talked about line art and people with the story and all that could you while you've talked about it could you go into a little bit of details about who's doing the line art 
who's helping me with the story. What's the process from line art to animation? Yeah, cool. So our internal team is doing all the animation roughs and the same people have been working with us for several years. Did you and have to give them some homework on the Phantom? Yes, yes. Um, I have converted at least one person on my team to an ardent fan. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I'm in the process of, of, uh, of the rest of them. But uh, I also can't come across as a dictator, so I've got to be very careful. Uh, <laughs> John, the, read those comments. <laughs> yeah. what, we, what, we, what I really want to do from the beginning is get people involved in this project that already had a strong history with the brand, strong history with the character from a creative perspective. So the first person I reached out to was Anthony Spay. And he and I got along like a house on fire and we had heaps of discussions before we'd even signed the contract with King Features. So he was on board quite early and he was helping me out with some concept art from, from, the, from the very, very early stages. And before we'd even signed the contract, I was paying him to uh, work on the character design of the Phantom. So I was like, you know, if this didn't go ahead, I would have been in, in the hole for a certain amount of money. But well, so we were, we were jumping the gun a little bit, but it gave us a little bit of a head start when they finally did sign the contracts. So we would jump into doing the animation pretty much straight away. Um, so Anthony's going to be our key, like um, pretty much the, the lead, the lead artist on the project. So at the moment, our team will be sending him the roughs and he'll be fine tuning them and um, turning them into uh, proper finished art from a line art perspective. Uh, then I have a team of colorists. There's going to be at least two people coloring uh, everything. So before I go into that, the, the whole structure of this game is going to be based around traditional artwork, traditional way of doing animation frame by frame, no, no 3D, no... Uh, spine-based animation tools where you design a head and a chest and arms and legs and link everything together with like you know spines and, and, and bones and other structures and animate it that way there's going to be no cheapness to the animation uh or, or rushed sense of, of you know tweening frames it's all going to be traditionally hand-drawn it's it's possibly the most time-consuming difficult way to do it but it's the only way i can see for the brand uh, and the game that we want to make. I mean, it would have been super easy just to model him in 3D, have him running around a 3D world, uh, but it just didn't feel like a translation to me of what the Phantom mm. felt like to me personally and uh, where I wanted to see a game like this. Yeah. And, you know, I'd seen Streets of Rage. For, so, so just to backtrack a little bit, it's going to be an action side-scrolling beat-em-up with two playable characters. And the story is written... Um, to be five chapters, each chapter containing three levels. So a total of 15 levels in the game. We've got some awesome storyline written by Matt Kime, uh, who's fellow Australian. He and I have written the story together, and that will be off to, well, it's actually been approved structurally. The dialogue and everything hasn't been approved yet, so that's going to go off and get approval. So it's got a lot of story behind it, and there's a morality clause to the whole game so that if you play the game a certain way you're going to see an ending if you play the game a different way you're going to see a different ending so we want players to think about the what they and how they tackle their combat and how they tackle the game as they play through and this is a really big important part that i think king features were kind of digging as well i don't want to tell people you can't draw the phantom's guns and just run mow through a bunch of enemies and I'm not going to stop them from doing that, but there will be there will be a clause at the end of the game. 
that will have an effect, basically. What they've done will have an effect on the end. Yeah. Um, have consequences. So there's consequences, <laughs> yes. Um, mm. So we've got multiple endings. We've got a great storyline, five chapters of story, each chapter, three, ga- three levels, and the Phantom is going to be traversing quite a lot of the globe. Uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly where he's going, but I'm going to... Does he at least come to Australia? You yes. have to get Australia in there. He is coming to Australia. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I don't know how much I should give away, but let's let's just say the main areas of the world where the popular the, the Phantom is popular, I think the Phantom will be traversing. Let's just put it that Sounds way. Sounds good. There is a certain Indiana Jones sort of sense to the, to, to the objective and, and really what gets the Phantom um, out of Bengala is is this main objective. Uh, and it sees him seeing quite a different... He takes uh, Devil with him for the whole trip. Including Australia? Including Australia. How does he get past the um, border, border patrol? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, Barnaby wasn't uh, wasn't alive at that point. <laughs> I think I think uh, quarantine laws are a little bit... Um, judging by the rabbits and the cane toads, yeah. um, they're a little bit lax in the, in the 30s. So, oh, yeah, so obviously this takes place oh, yes. the, the 21st fan in, in, during the 30s. And part of our research has been looking around the docks of Sydney uh, during that time frame and seeing the Sydney Harbour Bridge partially built. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful time. Um, obviously, no Opera House. So sorry, sorry, fans that want to see the Phantom uh, uh, g- going for it in front of the Opera House, but that won't be that won't be in the game. Uh, we do have some classic. We do have some classic Australian dialogue, though. Uh, Matt has been <laughs> Matt is Matt is on the forefront of making sure that that our Australian goons um, have have some have some great lines, and so does the Phantom. There's one line that the Phantom says when he gets to Australia that I think will will uh, warm the hearts of, of many readers. <laughs> oh, and, nice. and and of course, you know the three, well, the four of us are all Aussie blokes, but. Uh, We've got listeners all around the world, so I'm sure that that, that little um, hint you gave before about the major areas where the Phantom's popular, um, I'm sure that our Swedish and our Indian listeners in particular... Oh, um, they'll be very interested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there will have to be US. Uh, Brazil might be another one. Potentially, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just have to wait and yeah, yeah. don't have to give everything away, but we can speculate. We'll be we releasing core parts absolutely. of the story around middle of the year. Okay. Uh, because the, the core parts of the story really relate to the actual story as a whole. And I, I don't want to give too much away because, like I said, I want people to be playing through this game multiple times to see what, what their, what, what, how their combat style and the decisions they've made affects the, affects the outcome. Um, um, a question about the story that you've just made mention with Matt Calm. Now, anyone who listened to this podcast for more than one episode would know who Matt Calm is. He's been on half a dozen times. Uh, top bloke and knows his phantom as well. Is there a chance of it being turned into a comic book, or actually yes. an actual comic book story? Okay, so, yeah. So let me talk about the releases of the game. The first release we're doing is a digital-only release, and that will be around about middle of 2024, pending the obvious pitholes that all games go through, approval processes, ratings, all that sort of stuff. Then we'll be releasing a standard boxed version of the game. Now, this will be available globally and it's most likely, we haven't signed it officially, but it's most likely going to be distributed and published through limited run games. 
They've got a really big stronghold in the US, which is where I want the game to be featured to get the new audience in. Um, but also they're going to be, they're going to, they've got a global distribution for us planned. Mm. So pre-orders will go on sale for the boxed version pretty much the same day as the digital version is released. So if you want a boxed version, you can order the boxed version. There'll be a discount if you've already bought the digital version. And that will be a standard box version. There'll be a little slip in it and a disc or a, or a card, and, and that's all you're going to get. Then we have uh, at least one tier, maybe two tiers, of a collector's edition that will be available through them to grant. And I'm talking to various artists at the moment about contributing, but there will, at the very least there will be a limited um, signed uh, version of some of the comic, uh, some of the game art from Matt, uh, from sorry, from Anthony. Uh, so that'll be just like limited. We don't know how many we're going to do of each of the box sets yet. Probably somewhere between 500 and 1,000. Uh, and there will also be, uh, depending on how things work out, uh, a version of the game that's turned into a comic. So those five chapters that appear in the game, because each of those game, each of those chapters is going to have cutscenes, which will be comic panel animated. Um, we'll be taking those and putting those into an actual comic book. Yeah, wow. Um, which will exist in the box set only. Um, we're talking to printers and, and all that sort of stuff at the moment about getting a good deal and uh, producing that. It changes things like the size of the box and everything like that because obviously comic book's fairly big. So That's exactly what I was just picturing then. It was going to be you know, a small size, but no, it's going to be a bigger... Yeah, yeah. so I, I want... And there'll be, there'll be differences between the artwork style of the collector's box versus the, the regular shelf... We want the, the the shelf box to be a little bit more modern in the way the Phantom looks and the way he's rendered and everything like that. But for the collector set, I really want that to be a traditional. Um, I was I was actually just chatting to Luca yesterday uh, about potentially him doing a, a an alternate version of the game box for the collector set, so it feels more like something you can put on the shelf, and you know it sits in there nicely with the rest of the collectibles. Doesn't look like you know too too modern but then again you know i think i think both of them were great but yeah there's going to be that option yeah the uh the the, the sound you might have heard in the background was uh jermaine's wife fainting at the thought of the <laughs> he's about to spend on different versions of this game that, that I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure we'll, we'll be able to arrange some sort of <laughs> i'm um, sure but the the names involved already yeah, uh, gives it a lot of uh, a credibility, I guess. And there's some there's some amazing creators. Um, the stuff Anthony's done so far has blown my mind. I mean, I didn't really ever see it being that great in terms of like the way we've kept it looking traditional, but thrown in enough of the the rendering style and the lighting to sort of give it a modern look. Mm. Um, I really want to capture that younger audience. I want to get more people into the Phantom, but I also don't want to discredit the lifelong sacrifice that the Phantom fans have made in terms of like waiting for these type of content. You know, I don't want to go and trample on that either. So yeah. it's it's finding that right balance in making a game. And that's why we've, we've gone for that side-scrolling adventure game. I want someone who's 60 years old and loves the Phantom. If you have to pick up a joy a, a joypad or a, a joystick or a controller and just mash that A button until their heart's content and get some joy out of it, <laughs> right? But then if you're 16 and you play this game, you've already played Streets of Rage and you're kind of into that genre of gaming as well, there is strategy involved, when to draw your guns, when to shoot, to shoot to wound, 
Um, we're gonna have, we've got a whole level where you ride hero. It looks awesome. Oh, like I said, oh, oh. you can you can call upon devil to take out some enemies. Uh, we've got we've got as much in there that pays tribute to the, the classic phantom stuff that we all want to see. I know there's going to be people out there who have like we're sick of side scrolling beat em ups, but they're huge and they're always fun. And they're the games I grew up with and I had fun with my friends. And that's what I wanted to translate to this too. I, I didn't want to do a detective series where you had to solve puzzles and crimes. There will be some elements of that in the games. It's not just going to be, a, like I said, you still have to think about what you're doing in this game. It's not going to be a mindless brawler, um, although there's some elements of it where you can just sit back, turn off your brain and watch the Phantom mark a whole bunch of people. Um, there, will, there will be an element to the game that is you know, decisively intellectual in terms of like strategy. And that's mm. something I really want to like say to fans. We're not in this to, we want this game to be fun. Um, yeah. And that's well, the most important yeah. thing. Your next uh, Phantom game can be the full on detective. <laughs> ah, stuff yes. like that. Well, I'm hoping because there will be some cameos in this game. Uh, I'm oh, hoping, goodness. I'm hoping if everything goes well, we can shift into a Defender's title for the next oh, oh, Yes. <laughs> I have sent a, a couple of those... yeah. I will give away a little oh. bit. I, I have I have sent a couple of ideas to King Features about how we can utilise Mandrake in this game without oh. me breaking the contract. Because <laughs> the yeah. contract is specifically for the Phantom. I can't be going like throwing yeah. other characters in there. But one of my ideas was um, in one of the levels we could have a a kid dressed as Mandrake performing card tricks on the side of the road. Um, yeah. We, we've thrown in ideas. That's trick. Yeah, we've, like having torn posters on some of the walls with, with Mandrake on them. Things like that. We really want to go heavy on some of the payoffs of those, like, you know, Mandrake and um, the re and, and obviously uh, the rest of the cast uh, and kind of build up a, a little bit of, of maybe just being the prelude to a, a second game, but um, yeah, we I'm not counting chickens. Yeah, let's get this one across the line. Yeah. Let's make of it course. as fun and exciting yeah. as possible. Yeah, and um, people oh, with um, uh, 2D scrolls like I've been playing um, the, the Turtle Shredder's Revenge. Like right. it's you know it's a 2D scroll and you're there and you're bashing up foot, foot soldiers, but there is a um, uh, a level of um, what do you got to think of? You mentioned it before. The, the way you you use utilize combat and put in mm. throws and you know who you're going to target first and where you got to do all that sort of stuff because yeah, it just looks like oh, you just go in and bash them up. But then I watched the video and it's just changed my complete gameplay. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing: I don't want people thinking I can go and just shoot anyone in this game and kill them, right? I want people to be able to pull out their guns and we'll be having various booby traps and things and levels you can shoot with your gun to, to take out enemies. Much like, and that's a, that's a traditional 2D side-scrolling scrolling trope where you can hit a fire hydrant in the original Turtles arcade game and, you know, it shoots off the water and, and that takes out the enemies. Like simple things like that are fun. Mm. But you can, with, you can take your pistols out as the Phantom at any point and start shooting, but you need to decide what impact that's going to have on your gameplay. Now... There will be some more significant things in the gameplay that you'll be like, we're going to have a system where if you kill too many people in one level you're going to, have to go back and replay it yeah. right so we want people to feel the weight of that of their weaponry um and also how that impacts on who the phantom is without it being like we're bashing people over the head about it right we just want it to make it feel like it's natural 
like it would feel more natural if just to run through and shoot it and shoot everyone in the head but that's not natural to the character yes. so we want to have a complexity like that in there that's not too hard to understand like i said if you want to play that way you can but you know you'll certainly know quickly that's changed everything for you um but the, the, we've got a, a whole list of combat skills that the phantom has um grappling strangle holding a huge array of punches and kicks um are these developers as you play the game like you don't start off fully maxed out like are these skills that um... they will yes because there will be combinations that you will learn to get maximum effect which will be um uh delivered to you at various stages throughout the game there's also going to be a slight collectible element i don't like doing heavy collectible things where you feel like you have to collect a hundred things to finish the game but there's a collectible element in there as well and i'm waiting for approval on this but i i we're going to be having a classic covers collectible item in the game too which will bring up a gallery so hidden in crates hidden behind certain things will be various covers from the phantom's history and well as you collect them they'll go into a gallery so simple things like that i mean i'm not i'm not saying these are unique or new but uh, but they're nice they're, they're good nice. they pay homage to the character and the some tribute. yeah 100 percent. so i will probably be talking to everyone on our team including you guys to sort of maybe pick a top 50 which is <laughs> hard covers. yeah top 50 covers that'd be awesome oh, wow. yeah oh if you're listening to this and you're listening to it on social media or youtube yeah, maybe we'll uh, something to put to the fans. Let's let's start, do a poll. Start dropping some uh, some ideas in the comments, um, and I'm sure. And I know Ash is a huge fan and probably reach out as well. So make sure you listen to this, get some ideas, free drop some ideas, and uh, you never know when you're playing it and you could tell your son that's my idea. That was my idea. That was my idea. And I'll go, yeah, or your dad, daughter, yeah, dad, whatever, or your daughter. <laughs> So just in terms, of, I just want to touch base on, on a couple of the other gameplay parts while we're still talking about the game. Yeah, awesome. So the, the actual story, like I said, is going to be five chapters each with three levels. But some of those levels are going to be extracted from the main story and playable as individual smaller mini games uh, or game modes, I should say. Uh, so there'll be a main storyline which you can play, and you'll, like I said, you might have to play it through a couple of times, see the different endings, and there's going to be a couple of different game modes that allow you to just... Uh, I can probably give away one of these. Um, there will be a phantom boxing. Um, <laughs> so basically, it's just going to be a free-for-all. The phantom jumps into the ring, and you can just learn your combat skills through that, just smacking the, the living daylights out of a whole bunch of people. Um, Would that be like the Mask Marvel, and you put in like characters from the yes. Marvel storyline? Yeah, so it's, it, that, that will be what that will be one of the the um, game modes that's that's um, taken out of the Australian uh, portion of the game, because we figured if anyone's going to just be knuckle brawling, it would be in Australia, <laughs> um, especially around the thirties. I mean, let's face it, it's still happening now. If you go down to the pub, you're probably going to get you know, <laughs> a knuckle sandwich once in your lifetime, at least. Um, so yeah so wow. you know in terms of like value for money there's going to be that the core part we're putting all our emphasis in is the storyline but there will be a couple of game modes there where you can you don't have to play through the whole story and just jump into like like i said jump into the boxing ring and just go for gold um and so maybe like a arcade mode where you can just you know put yeah. variables on and off that sort of stuff yeah yeah all that sort of stuff yeah. going in there yeah um before you made mention two players 
Yeah, I've been wondering about the second player. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, could you go into a bit of that for us? Yeah, well, the second player is going to be Diana. Awesome. Uh, awesome. The story the story begins with both of them, and she plays an integral role throughout the game uh, in terms of uh, you know participation, and whatnot. Some of the levels are going to be a cooperative. Um, how would I put this? You're going to, if you're a single player playing some of these levels. You'll be controlling both the Phantom and Diana as like a team. Is that kind of like play... um, Lego games where you swap between? Yes. Yeah. Uh, not swap between the two. Like one uh, one set of buttons will control a Phantom, one set of buttons will control Diana. You need to like All right. control Roger. both of them. Two player mode, those same levels. One person will obviously be Diana, one person will be the Phantom. Um, you can play through the entire game as Diana and not have the Phantom in it, and the Phantom will appear in the story. And we've written it in a way that doesn't matter which character you choose, the, the, the story will progress quite nicely without nice. feeling like one or two of them are missing. So uh, Diana is the character and she she's looking awesome. I will be able to share her character and the Phantom in terms of the stills in the, in the next couple of weeks Very before well. I sh- before I tease out the animations and things like that. Looking forward um, to that. Um, so yeah. If Devil's with the Phantom all the way through the game, does is the Devil with Diana as well or does she have someone else? No, the Devil is with Diana as well. So we've yeah. written into the story that Devil will be with the both of them. Um, and it's always considered when Diana is the playable character, the Phantom is off screen somewhere taking on his own fights. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, look, the devil responding to Diana is a little bit kind of like he doesn't really do that in the comics. He's definitely the Phantom's dog, but I feel like Diana's wolf, earned his respect. Wolf, wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Diana, I feel like Diana's earned his respect enough that she could at least ask him for help and he would assist. I think that's, that's, I I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. He's been around long enough. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Um, who are the enemies? Who who's the Phantom and Diana fighting against? Who are these Aussie goons working for? And anyone else so, around the country? Around well, the- I, I can't. It is it is going to be um, the Singh Brotherhood. Uh, we've kept it traditional. I can't tell you anything more than that. But each of that's the levels okay. will that's have, enough. <laughs> yeah, each of the levels will have a set of. The Singh Brotherhood that the Phantom is fighting throughout their levels, you know, like they're consistently the hired the goons that are going to be there. But then each of the areas that we're, where the Phantom travels to will also have a select group of mercenaries that are that are um, naturally or geolo- geologically located to that region, right? So you're going to have, you know, a couple of enemies that will come on that'll be specific to that region. So you have so Baza and yeah, Baza. Um, you absolutely don't have to, to give anything else away, but like there um other characters that we've already met in the Phantom universe. Um yes. Are there any there are not just yes. the single but others as well. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Uh we're we're trying to bring in as much as we possibly can within the budget and scope that we have, mainly the time limit. Yeah. Uh, like I said, King Features really want something out by middle of next year. So yep. We don't have a lot of time up our sleeve, but uh, yeah, we're we're doing our best to make sure that the character selection is varied and very well recognised, and also that you don't mind like knocking the snot out of them too, which is important. <laughs> the Phantom will always try to to solve it with diplomacy first, but yeah, yeah. fortunately for everyone involved, including the players, the the, uh, the Singh Brotherhood don't care about diplomacy, and uh, so very very quickly. Uh, Things devolve. <laughs> awesome, awesome. 
Is it only the guns and the fists as your weapons, or? Um, yep. 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 You don't. You don't um, have to out the uh, the whip that uh, for some the, reason the twenty forty whip. Uh, no, but enemies will have uh, long ranging uh, weapons to strike you with. So, like I said, this comes down to your combat methods. You might pull out your guns and wound an enemy first, and then while they're down, ch uh, charge them and and knock them out with your fists. Is there a stealth element to it as well? Like how the ghost who walks, you sneak up on people who are... Yes. yes. So there'll be triggering aspects in environments too that will break the stealth mode. So obviously you're going to avoid walking across certain areas that will and certain traps and things that will indicate to the enemy that you're there. Yeah. Um, we also have to be very careful within the, the parameters that King Peters have set where you the phantom needs to be provoked into... Uh, taking out the enemies rather than him just randomly yeah. walking into a scene and beating everyone up. Yeah. Uh, so stealth will be in in some of those yeah, I think cool. uh, King Features so, has got um runs on the board in that area. I think in there's a, a stage or an enemy in the Cuphead game where if you don't attack it, it doesn't attack you. And yeah, and as you know, King Features have, have been big in in Cuphead and in its development and funding and all that sort of stuff. So. Um. That, that morality stuff works really well with me because it gives the side-scrolling beat-em-up genre a bit of a new edge to it, you know? Because in Final Fight, all those classic Capcom-era games, Punisher, you know, um, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, there's, there's no ambiguity in, in terms of, like, enemies come towards you, you punch them. You know, it's... That's it. There's going to be a little bit more depth in, in, in ours that, that sort of meets the criteria of the character. And um, though it's a, um, a 2D side-scroller, he's not, like, stuck on a rail? Is he, like, able no, to go no. top of the screen, bottom of the screen, that type No, of so we, we're using Unity, uh, which is obviously a 3D engine. Right. And even though we're using traditional 2D sprites, uh, hand-illustrated, uh, hand hand-painted, the, the actual environment is going to be 3D. So you've got full, you've full up and down, left, right movement of the Phantom. Got some lovely parallaxing going on with the environments. We're doing digital lighting, which means when the Phantom walks through a, a beam of light, his whole sprite's going to change and, and be oh, reflective wow. of those environment, those, those environmental elements. So it's not quite as traditional as the, 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 the Capcom games of the 90s, where everything was very much set in stone because they had hardware limitations and things like that. We're doing a healthy mix of traditional with modern lighting in games and, and model modern um, uh, effects. You know where where we where we where we see them really suiting. Awesome. And um, when you were talking about the art style and, and what have you, I've got in in my head. And I know it's a completely different style of game, but do you remember the game of Lack of Better Word Thirteen X I I I. I and do. had that book element to it. That played a big part in my original conceptualization of this game, yeah. Ah, because, well, that's what I'm kind of picturing with the art style. Would that be mm -hmm. in the ballpark there? Uh, no, because 13 was cell shaded 3D, made to try and look like comics, and it succeeded for the most part. But it's, it, I want people to feel like if you look at Anthony's illustrations imagine them being rendered and playable uh but also having cutscenes in, involved too so the comic integration is going to be undeniable 
but it's not going to be 3D cell shade or anything like that. It's all going to be 2D, but but built within a 3D environment. I hope that makes some sort of sense. Yeah. Um, I'll be sharing full concept art and things like that, or as well as early concept art of like how it's transitioned from from one thing to the other. Hmm. Um, that would be yeah, thirteen. Thirteen is great because the things I like from thirteen is when you shoot someone, like you, you do a head kill or something like that. There'll be a little comment that pops up, a little a uh, little um, panel that pops up in the corner. Yeah, that'll have like a, a few frames of that character being hit. That's definitely going to be in our game. Oh, that's uh, what I was hoping when I was thinking. Yeah. That. <laughs> so, like when you when you call on uh, Devil, for example, there'll be a little uh, cell that pops up with with Devil, like a few frames of him turning his head, like oh, I'm being called upon, uh, and then he'll rush in from the screen. So. Yeah, we're going to have a couple of dozen of those different things popping up throughout the gameplay. So it's going to be, it's going to feel like, you know, you're playing a comic book game. I know it sounds kind of sounds cheesy, but I think having seen where all the Marvel and DC stuff has gone lately, I can see why they've done it. But it's it's definitely not the approach I wanted to take. I didn't want to just build a bunch of 3D stuff and and translate the Phantom in that way. I wanted to translate it in this way, and who knows? I, I, I think it's going to be um, quite well received with, with the fan base for sure. Um, well, if I can speak for the three members of the fan base that you're talking to right now, it's like everything you see <laughs> is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and the King Feature saw the concept art from the very get-go. So, I mean, if it was stinky, uh, if there was something wrong with it, um, they would have been the first people to tell me. Oh, like, yeah. I, I think Anthony Speyer, and like you haven't asked my opinion, of course, nor should you, but Anthony Speyer is an inspired choice of artists from like the modern generation of uh, comic book artists. Um, you, you said earlier about having the the idea of the covers being the, the standard of art, if, for want of a better term, that comes through the rest of the game. Like his yeah. covers are about outstanding. He's, he's the books that he's produced. Like in terms of the, the current modern generation of artists, he'd be someone who translates really well to that that style, I think. I think that's a, that's a great choice. Yeah, plus he's just a great guy too and easy to get along with, which is another important factor in making video games because they are stressful mm. uh, and they are quite time-consuming and... You never feel like the money you're getting paid is enough because it's just so all-consuming. So there is some flexibility we need from people working on the project in terms of like you know just being chilled. <laughs> and uh, Anthony is definitely one of those guys. He's he's uh, he's great to work with. And like I said, we spent a month together before the contract was even signed, just working on various iterations of the Phantom, and you know we'd be swapping heads over and changing torso widths and 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 muscle mass and things like that, just trying to get that perfect representation of what we wanted out of this game that that melding of of traditional and modern and and then our um our render our colorists internally brandon when he put the colors to it it's just like man that looks so great uh and everything sort of just started coming together so i'm super pumped to show people more i i i desperately wanted to show everyone from the get-go exactly what the game is going to be in every single respect but I want people to, to feel like they're part of this process. I want to like release things over time and talk about it and really sort of yeah. give everyone uh, a beat by beat kind of rundown of, of what's going on. So, um, Ash, we've seen, we've seen creators before, and, and I guess we as Chronicle Chamber have seen creators do that before via crowdsourcing platforms like your um, Kickstarters or you know even a Patreon. Is that something you're thinking of doing to help fund the game, or is this completely? Yeah, so already built into the pre-production, which King Features are happy with, is around about middle of the year, maybe July. 
we're going to be having a Kickstarter event. It's not going to be to fund the game, but it's going to be to fund the collector's edition box set once we've ironed out all the different parts we need to do that. And also just a general promotion of the game and helping us get out there and um, talk to as many people. Like we, 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 we've purchased the booth, um, or at least we've registered to purchase the booth for New York Comic Con and still organising the whole event. So we're going to be in New York with Anthony drawing um, uh, in October in New York. There's going to be a few other events we want to start. Plus, we want to do some really cool fan things as well. Like, we want to do a couple of uh, arcade machines um, wrapped in artwork from from the game and offer those out as, like, high-tier, for high-tier contributors. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there we want to do. And I think just in general, Kickstarter is great at getting the word out there. And it's been sort of more prominent recently for comic books and people trying to do stuff that's not... 100% 100% mainstream. So we want to definitely jump on that. Um, so we won't mm-hmm. be asking people to contribute huge amounts of money, but we'll definitely, um, any support we get sort of towards the release date to help get this game out there and, and um, visible to as many people as possible um, is going to be a huge part of it. And that's probably where we're probably going to need some help. Yeah. Well, like, yeah another I, thing I is we're going to be idea. completely transparent too. Like as a gaming studio, the building the game is one thing getting people to actually notice it on the shelf with a million other projects going on is another thing um and you could say that the phantom is is definitely well received within certain pockets but there are other pockets of the globe with huge populations that know nothing about the character yeah Uh, so that's where we want to go that's where we want to talk to um i would love to do an event uh in sweden I'd love to do an event in India. Um, so we'll see how we go, but there will be at least Comic-Con and we'll try and do as many of the comic festivals as possible. Um, I'd love to get uh, Cosplay Chris to just walk around on the floor with a couple of switches, getting people to play. Like I want to do some guerrilla type stunt work with um, uh, with the game as well. Like, you know, it's going to be a grassroots sort of marketing push. Yeah. I love the sound of that. Phenomenal. Do you do you have do you have goals that you've got to? Set? I've got no idea about how this works. Do you have goals that you've got to set in terms of how many units you want to sell at the end of this, or is this? There is, is yeah. I mean, I can be pretty transparent with that too. I mean, we need to sell twenty thousand units worldwide yeah. wow. to make our money back on the budget. Yeah, and that that's there's a, there's a and physical. That's just well, we're hoping that we can just we can manage that just in digital. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, like I said, the the boxed copies, it's an unknown science how many boxed copies you can move. Uh, and we probably have to limit the the collector's edition to, to at most maybe a couple of thousand units. But, you know, price is obviously a big issue and the economy the way it is. Um, we've got to be also sort of careful that we're not charging too much. Mm. Um, but, you know, we lose a percentage to the... Um, to the platform owners, so Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, Steam, and then we lose a percentage to um, to King Features, which is negotiated as part of our contract. So what what's left for us is you know it's okay, but it's <laughs> we we kind of need to make sure that we're we're moving units to um, to justify another game basically and to justify the survival of the studio not that that sounds too dark but 
No, um, but I guess, guess where you've come from in the sense of, you know, you were talking about pumping out 12 games a year for Nickelodeon and, you know, a game turnaround in four or five months. Now to be – are you is, is your studio devoting all of the next 18 months to just the Phantom game or do you have other projects as well? Well, well, we have other projects that will be kicking into gear once our design team has finished as much as it can do on this particular game. So we're trying to really organise our team members so they can move on to other projects. The We are covering 100% of this game build as part of like, just from, from our own resources. It's not going to be privately funded. Yeah, government funding doesn't exist for this for this type of project because it's assumed that if you've got money to pay for a license for a game, you've got money to build it, um, yeah. or you can just go and get private funding. Uh, so, we obviously, from a business point of view, we have to make sure the game is released in a certain amount of time. We can't have this stuck in production for three years because mm. uh, we'll just be bleeding money. So, it has to be released in a certain amount of time. It has to be done well. So, we have to put the money into it in a short amount of time to get it out the door. Um, but then it has to be perfect. So yeah. there's a lot of play here. So our team, we, we're dedicating probably, I don't know, three quarters of the year solely to this. And then by that time, by the time it goes into more of the development phase, a lot of our artists will have time to start working on other things. So like I said, we've got a, a game in pre-production with the BBC, so that will be kicking into gear towards the end of the year. Um, so at the moment, we're, we're, we're really just trying to put everything we have into the Phantom, and not only with our internal team, but like I said, with uh, with Anthony and with Matt and a whole bunch of other people that we get on board for this as well. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a daunting it's a daunting um, process, but also we hope the risk to reward ratio is there. So mm. if we do if we put it put together a great product and get it out into the into the fans, um, we're hoping that that will be enough to get us across the line. Sure. Obviously, if we can do anything more than 20,000, it's going to be great. It's going to mean profit. It's going to mean yeah. King Features is going to say yes to another game. It's going to be, you know, if we could double that, if we did 40,000 copies worldwide, I mean, it would be, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned... The capital PH. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned before that um, King Features gets a percentage. So I guess, like, we've, you know, at different times, a lot of fans have looked into licensing different items with King Features, and a lot of the times it comes down to a, a flat fee, but it sounds like it's more a percentage with you guys. Like um, the, whole, the whole gaming environment is structured around residuals. So um, there is no way just to pay a single flat fee in this day and age and get away with being able to just to make a game. Yeah, right. I mean, even if I paid Nickelodeon a million dollars for a SpongeBob or a Ninja Turtles licensed game, they'd be wanting twenty to thirty percent of the back end. Really? Yeah. Well, that? yeah, yeah. So, yeah. did you have to pay an upfront fee to King Features? I can't really get into the contract side yeah. of things. Right. Only because I've signed various <laughs> documents that tell me I can't. But, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'll, what I'll say is that we, the, the standard procedure has been followed with King Features that we would have had to have followed with anyone else. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. And I and I think that we did we weren't really in a position to say, well, we're only going to give you five percent of the sales because we're an up and coming uh, yeah. console developer. Even with our history of working with big brands, we know how to deal with getting things across the line in in, in a in a great fun way very quickly, and we've got all that skill behind us. You know, we're not in a position to be to be bargaining, uh, you know, on, on those sorts of things. Is there anything like 
you talked about um, publicising and, and or even post production. Like, is there likely to be a chance for you to um, get a get a, a finger in the pie when it comes to any merchandise that comes in relation to the game? Do you, do you foresee anything like that? Like, you you've come yes. up with the, the concept, you've got the creators on board. They're all your team. You've brought that to King Features. If they if they have any merch that comes out of it, surely you'd be entitled to a piece of that pie. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no contract for merchandise as part of the game because the game is the game. So we would have to negotiate a separate contract with uh, King Features for merchandise. Okay. And the, the we have a contract for the digital and we're still in negotiation on the contract for the hard copy version of the game. They exist as two separate entities because each entity will have a different percentage requirement of how much we lose because um, obviously... Um, Nintendo aren't making the same money uh, from a digital download as they are on a boxed sale, for example. Sure. So the, the financials are all different, so they're two separate contracts. Um, and the boxed copies, there's a lot more going on there with the collector's edition and all that stuff. But yes, if I wanted to negotiate with King Features right now, I could to, to do T-shirts, to do, uh, like I said, the, the comic version of the game, uh, statues, whatever we wanted to do, um, we would be entitled. And that, you know, we wouldn't be facing a double whammy then of, of losing 30% of the game sales to, yeah. to Nintendo or to, to PlayStation. But obviously so, that's not your, your core business, so to speak. You're, you're a game developer and you're, you make, yeah, that- we have dabbled with it in the past. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly something we'd, we'd like to do. Like I said, I'd like to do arcade machines. I'd like to do a whole bunch of things. It's just going to come down to time and budget. Of course. Um, anything we can get out of the Kickstarter media is going to be a huge boost for us just in terms of like cash flow and in terms of like getting promotional side of things, uh, moving forward because, you know, even though the Phantom's established, eighty years old, etc., the 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 marketing machine that that is behind it from King Features and from other entities is is zero, pretty much. Yeah. As you guys would know, the the existing social media accounts and things like that for the Phantom don't really have a huge draw card. So we're really left with going straight into grassroots marketing and trying to pump the game up. Um, as much as you possibly can. Now, look, the NECA sales have been incredible. So my logic is if we develop a good product like the NECA toys did, because the toys went out to people who were purchased by people who were not interested in the fan and just loved the look of it. So we want to capture that audience with the game as well. And that's going to be critical too. If we can get like a, a quarter or more of, of those sales from new people, then we'll be super happy with that. Um, but, yeah, they've obviously sold more than 20,000 uh, <laughs> toys. So yeah. uh, that's where we want to be. Uh, and look, I don't know the exact number of toys and figures that they've sold, but it's got to be somewhere around fifty thousand. So if we can get yeah, that right. amount in game sales, we should be we should be pretty pretty awesome to make more stuff down the line. That's great. But you know, um, like it's it's risk to reward. Like I keep saying, like we we had very low risk working for Viacom for 10 years, but the reward wasn't that great because you'd slog it out for year and year and just get a minimum budget for games. We've turned, and the irony is the first game that came on the Super Nintendo was published and made by Viacom. We're using Viacom money to make this game. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're throwing everything we have at it and we're putting everything we possibly can over the next year and a half. Hmm. And... We just hope that we can get it across that threshold of twenty thousand sales. 
Mm. Now, while we're talking money, and I know you might not be able to give us exact figures, what's what's a rough figure, if you can, that this game is going to cost? We're looking at Australia, US. Oh, whatever. Australian, so we'll go Australian, but if you can... Oh, in Australian, <laughs> over over 500. Yeah, well. Yeah. It's going to cost that much. I mean, a year and a half of a full studio's time mm. is, you know, it's not going to be a full, full studio because some people will, tra- will translate into other projects towards the end of the year. But, you know, basically speaking, a whole studio of 12-plus people uh, putting time into this. And, you know, some of those people are only doing a few thousand dollars worth of work here and there. But... Overall, that will be the sort of once we translate it from because you know the currency's crap at the moment. Uh, yeah, over half a million of Australian dollars will be spent on this. Yeah. How, so much, I, how much will be you know the puncher at the you know getting the download and that sort of stuff? Have you got an idea for the price point for, for the price that point? We roughly roughly around thirty to thirty five dollars digital sale. Uh, box set's going to be roughly fifty to sixty. Um, That's Australian. And, that's that's probably Australia to be thirty nine. Jeez, that's yeah. a lot still. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fairly low that's a fairly low price. That's a very reasonable price. Yeah, we want it to be reasonable for the download. It's not a huge game. Like we're expecting the storyline mm-hmm. to be played through in like two or three hours. But in the multiple versions of the the story and stuff, we hope people go back and play it again. Um, there'll be collectibles and things in the game. So the replayability is going to be high. Plus the other game modes. Um, we could have gone with a cheaper way of making the game for sure. We could have gone 3D and, and low poly and, and kind of roughed it out that way. We're kind of doing the most expensive way of making a game possible these, this day and age. Uh, so kind of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit there. But like <laughs> I said, it's got to work and it's got to look like something, mm. uh, that clean transition from comic to game. And look, I don't, I don't like a lot of the modern um, Marvel type games that much. So I, I have to be making something that I feel creatively fulfills me as well as something I want to get up and throw our entire, you know, a huge sum of money at least at. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, so if I'm, um, hypothetically, if I'm a uh, 45-year-old man who doesn't own a gaming console, um, how do, I, I, I've got no A button to smash. Um <laughs> Is when you say it's downloadable, can I just jump on a, uh, a you desktop? You can jump on a PC or Mac and log in and create an account with Steam. Right. Okay. Uh, and Steam will allow you to play it on any laptop or PC or Mac cool. or Mac as long as I'm not going to have to start lining up at um, JB Hi-Fi for the PlayStation Six or Seven or whatever's next one out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, that's another thing too. Like, there's part of the budget is making sure it works nicely across all consoles and. Um, the beautiful thing about the design style that we've chosen is whilst it's costly to uh, produce because, you know, we're hand drawing it, we're hand painting it, we're meticulously studying the movements of the characters and things like that. There's no cheap way of doing that. It's very low um, in terms of what it needs to run. So, you know, we're not creating like a 4K super high-res uh you know, high polygon count, 3D game. You know, so it's not, it's not really sucking the life out of your console. It's it's going to run nicely on the Switch. It's going to run as nicely on the Switch as it will on a PlayStation. Oh wow! So um, there will be or an Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
um, that's what I'm so so there will be there will be you know that benefit too when it comes to you know porting to the different consoles and things like that there we, we're at least hoping that that will save us some, some headache um, Will it be released on all of those platforms at the same time, do you reckon? Or? We're hoping so, yeah. Look, it's it's possible that Nintendo will, because I've reached out to Nintendo and said, we're doing this game. What can you offer us in terms of pr promotion, publicity, if we do an exclusive Switch launch first? Uh, and if they give me a tepid or no response, then we'll just do all platforms. Nintendo have generally been really welcoming of, of publishers launching on their, on their console first. Um, so that's a possibility, but otherwise the digital releases will go out all at the same time. And then, like I said, the box set will follow shortly and then the collector's box after that. Yeah, cool. Uh, people can decide whether they just want a standard box or if they want the collector's box at the same time. Collector's boxes, don't know the retail of those yet, but probably somewhere around the... You can go onto limitedrungames.com and you can check out the other box sets they've done. They published um, Shredder's Revenge. They've got a Shredder's Revenge box set out at the moment. So you can kind of see the stuff that they're doing. I don't want any of that sort of like crappy show bag stuff in our box set, like no keychains. I, I want cool stuff that people would literally want to frame or collect or put on the shelf. Awesome. You know, we're talking, I, I'd really like to talk to, to um, Boss Fight and do maybe a, an alternate carded version of one of their figures. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, things like that I want to do in the box set. Like I don't want to be some hokey collection of stuff that you that you're paying for, but you never really want to put on a shelf. You know what I mean? Like mm. some cool stuff is where it's at. So yeah. Mm. Um, a question while we're talking about platforms and stuff like that. Um, what are the markets like? Because obviously you've got Australia, US, and Europe that probably use a lot more uh, like switches and Xboxes and all that. Is mm. that the same? compared to someone like from India or Brazil or... or no, India like and Brazil that. both have very low um, console uh, purchasing. I mean, p people who play in, in India and Brazil are most likely going to be playing on PC or I think it's only like 28% of total gamers in, in those countries are playing on a console of any kind. Yeah. Uh, what we have in our what we had in our original proposal to king which we have to iron out over the next six months is and shredder's revenge have just done this streets of rage did it is to do a ios and android port for mobile oh, wow. uh, this we feel will greatly help the um indian and brazilian and a lot of other countries that have um a, a lower socioeconomic um well, they have low socioeconomic issues, but also people are just traveling more and they're, and they're they're active a lot more. There's less of that sort of stay home, play console games till you pass out kind of um, gamer base. So we want to do a mobile version for them, which will be a port similar to what they've done with Turtles and, and um, with Shredder's Revenge and with Streets of Rage, where it'll be slightly cut down version of the, the console game, but all the core stuff will still be there. So you're hoping we'd be hoping to do that towards the end of 2024. So there'd be kind of like a few month break between console launch and then mobile. So um, mobile would launch probably closer to Christmas of 2024. Okay, good Christmas present. Give the kids yeah, and be much it'd be much cheaper too. Like we're talking like five or six bucks. Uh, but you're obviously not getting the same. You wouldn't be getting the same resolution. You wouldn't be getting the same features. Yeah. So. 
you know, I don't, I don't want to put a paywall in there. I don't want to just do like the first level for free. Then you've got to cough up $6. I think it's, it's better just to charge up front, tell people they're going to get, still get their 15 levels. There'd just be some things that won't be in there that they're in the console. Yeah. And of course, I personally don't like to play mobile games in the sense of like touch controls and things like that. I'm very much game, gamepad kind of person. So, yeah. um, but there is, it, it's, we don't want to overlook that audience. We think it's important and we do something for them. Mm. Um, yeah, because the, the the consoles. I mean, I I don't even want to pay seven hundred dollars for for a PS five. I mean, it's and I've got to have them for testing, and I can I can write it off on my tax. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of ridiculous to think that that everyone out there is going to have a console. I mean, I know the switches are a little are a little bit cheaper and things like that, but yeah, we want to make sure everyone's covered. So yeah, the mo- the mobile version will go out towards towards Christmas of twenty twenty four. Well, my daughter is excited. Uh, about dad buying her a switch game, so um, <laughs> that moment she's, she's having to buy them herself. So the fact that dad will buy her a switch game, uh, she's excited about the family game. I think someone in the comments uh, on your Facebook page wrote, "Finally, now I can buy a switch or something like that," which <laughs> I thought was was heartwarming. I think it might convert a few people to consoles, but like I said, we're trying to cover as many people as possible and. We may have to do a Kickstarter towards the end of, uh, towards the middle of next year for the mobile port. I'm pretty certain that once revenue starts rolling in from from the console version, we'll be able to cover the mobile port. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's on the cards. And I, I know there's the, the gaming, the whole gaming world is is all over the place. So it's kind of mm. common now that that everything's going to get ported to mobile at some point because we, companies want revenue, players want the game on their system, you know. Yeah. Um, is there going to be something else that happens in a lot of games? Is uh, the old DLC? Is there any scope for that? I haven't discussed it with King Features yet. It's not in the contract. I would love to, to do a DLC. My original, original, oh, original sorry. idea. Before you go any further, DLC for the non-gamers. What's DLC? So it's a digital loading, a digital download, or a download pack, basically that will uh, come out as like a in addition to the original game, Cuphead just released one relatively well, late last year, I think, which was just a whole bunch of different boss fights. So it's basically just an extension to the original game that you either give away for free or a very low cost that just adds to the original game, keeps people interested, maybe adds to a few more sales of the original game. Uh, and it's usually cheap. It's it's like a quarter or a third of the original game price. Does that uh, add to the replayability Adds the replayability, adds in some more characters. Sometimes people will just give a character update, so they'll just give you a whole bunch of new characters to play as. My original, original idea was that it was going to be like Turtles in Time where you would travel through the different time periods and meet the different phantoms and have different battles, you know, and I, you know, that was... The first phantom, the swearing of the oath. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, production time and budget would have just meant we could never get it done and, and made in time. Uh, so the we had to, had to stick to a certain time period. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought it would just, just be cool. To, and it's, it's so much fun to be doing pirate scenes and things like that too. So, um, But anyway, um, we, we have thought about it. it. It may go onto the cards as we get through further through production. It's not part of our original scope contract with King Features. I don't think they'd have any issue with it if we if we presented it to them. 
Um, I would like to see some numbers once the game's launched before I made that decision. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not ruling it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we've spoken a lot about the art and, and the game style, but um, what about the soundtrack? What That's a very important part of, of, of games. Um, what type of, well, you have anyone, or, it's all happening in house, I, I guess. You're not outsourcing yeah, uh, we, we outsource audio, some of our audio production to a freelancer by the name of, Clark about Clark has written all the music for our uh, Nickelodeon games for the last ten years, uh, and he's he writes for console games. So he'll be doing a score for the Phantom game. He's already received a copy of the storyline, and I will be having discussions with him over the next couple of weeks to write a score for each of the parts of the globe that the the Phantom will go to. So music's going to be a big part. Uh, voiceovers is going to be a big part too. So I don't know if that was going to be your next question, but basically, yeah, yeah, Billy Zane to that. And Billy Zane in. <laughs> I have got Billy Zane's promotional company, his his agent. I've got all that. I've got all that information in front of me. I'm putting together a almost like a second pitch deck just for Billy, and I will be sending that to him or to his production company. As soon as I feel like it, the quality is there, that he'll not look at it and think, "Who are these Australian hacks?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will then put it to the community because I want the community to be, to be involved with this and say to them, "What do you think?" Because I'd love for him, to, at the very least, depending on his time, to get him to narrate the for those who came in late yeah. opening animation. Does he, he doesn't necessarily need to be the voice of the Phantom if he doesn't have the time, although the dialogue would mean he, he could go in and out of the studio in, in half a day. I mean, the dialogue in the game is not going to be like this epic, you know, movie-length requirement. Um, he could probably get it done in a few hours. So um, I, I think I'd put it to, to, to the fans and see if they wanted to contribute to help us get him on board in terms of the finances and things like that because... He's not going to be cheap, and we don't have a, a limitless budget. But I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to travel to him. I'm willing to go to the UK and sit with him in the studio and and uh, quote unquote uh, direct him, <laughs> <laughs> which which will be mate, basically just me sitting there in awe. <laughs> yeah, it's, Dan, it's not out of the Dan question. met him a couple of years ago. Yeah, he he has been on the podcast before, and I had the absolute, yeah had the absolute privilege. Met him at Brisbane Supernova, and um, right. persuaded him over the course of a couple of days to to sit down and and talk Phantom with me for half an hour. I can't remember which um, episode of the podcast it is, but I have uh, to go back, man. That's awesome. Thirty three, I think. Yeah, tell you what, he has got an absolute presence. Like he is a an absolute. Yeah. He's a film star. You know, and he knows it, and he's just he's got that aura about him. So, um, Joe, I really hope that that would come. Well, through. if he can give you a half an hour for free, he could probably give us three hours for several thousand dollars. I would imagine. Absolutely. Hopefully, Surely. hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly, uh, did feel free to name drop if that if you think that's going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So, so basically, the, the, I want to get the game screens and everything ready to a point where he can look at that and go, "Wow, that looks cool," and, and talk to him about the way we're producing the game and our connection to. Because obviously, for him to be involved in the Phantom and obviously talk to you guys as well, he obviously cares about the character. Mm. Yeah, uh, 
so I'd be happy to go to to the UK and sit down with him and book a studio and uh, we might even be able to, to use uh, we've got we've got friends in, in the UK right and Clark is actually our sound guy has actually just moved to the UK too so we might be able to you know put together a ramshackle of production uh, to get him to come and do and look you know he doesn't necessarily we don't need to go into like a, a super fancy shooter or anything like if you've heard that the vo for video games over the last 20 years <laughs> the bar is set quite low let's put it that way <laughs> uh, so anything you know above mediocre in terms of production is going to sound awesome and look let's face it he, he would add so much more to the game and um help us Agreed. get some get some more out the door so uh well if you yeah. need someone to hold your bags uh, just let me know. I'll fly over there with you. Awesome, man. We'll take, we'll take over half the half the fan base to the UK and just <laughs> warm him. I'm sure he'll like that. No, but it's, it's definitely on the card. So I've got to get the pitch deck ready for him uh, to a point where he he's, he thinks, okay, this is this is this is legit. I can get behind this, mm. um, including the storyline. That's that's a big part of it. So I want to get that approved as well. Uh, we do have we have been using over the. Um, the last 10 years, various voice actors to um, mimic. Uh, we've got a great voice actor who mimicked Casey Jones for us for a game, and uh, we're probably going to be using him a fair bit in the game as well. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be a big part. The, the, the music score and everything is going to be huge. Awesome. Phenomenal. Yeah, we're not, we're not using stock assets from some website or anything. It's all going to be uh, <laughs> all going to be custom scored depending on where the Phantom is and the cutscenes are going to have their own score to them. And yeah, so will there be awesome. tech, the cutscenes or, or voiceover or you know voiceover with subtitles or what's the voiceover? Yeah, so the original contract for King Features said they didn't want to do a localized version of the game, meaning they didn't want to produce a version of the game for each region each language so the game will unfortunately only be in english uh we're not doing a uh we're not basically not releasing any other language so the cutscenes will be comic book panels with voiceover and and obviously the the, the text inside the panels yep and but during the gameplay with the with the comic book style you know when someone says something you're going to have a little speech bubble come out yep oh. Could there, um, you which is very about, similar to that thirteen game you're talking yeah. about too? Yeah. yeah. Sorry to keep butting in. You, you talk about um, individualizing or, or localizing languages. Um, could there be an option for Swedish fans to choose blue on the Phantom suit, or Brazilian fans to choose red? Yes, but I have to put a big caveat on that. It would probably be. It would probably come as a DLC post-launch. Um, there's a cheap way of doing that visual aesthetic you described, and there is a good way of doing it. We want to do it the good way, not the cheap <laughs> way. I mean, I could automate that process in Photoshop and have it done in about 10 minutes, but it would look like poop. Uh, so, uh, yes, I do want to do that. I would love to do it for, for those fans, um, but obviously it's going to come down to how many units we can get out the door in that first digital release. Now I can say, right, I'm going to dedicate a DLC pack. I'm going to pitch it to Kings and we'll get it out a couple of months after release. Um, it's not a, it's not a huge amount of work, but it's, it's enough for it to warrant its own, um, its own expansion. Sure. Uh, and depending on how well the game sells in different regions too, we may be able to do a localized version of those particular games down the track too. That's not out of the question. Uh, just for timing and for efficiency, King features and for approvals, 
uh, King Features only wanted to focus on an English release. Yeah, fair. Okay. Uh, we did negotiate in the contract. The one thing I can say about the contract is we did negotiate for um, the physical release in India as well, which was not in the original agreement. Um, but we said that there are so many fans in India, it makes no sense not to release a physical box, even if sales may not be as high as other regions. Um, so, mm. yeah, we, ha we have got that included now. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, certainly Europe and the US and Australia is definitely covered in multiple aspects, but it's, it's, it's always been difficult for the publishing gaming, the gaming publishing industry to sort of figure out how they reach certain parts of Asia. Um, and sometimes it's just that they put it in the too hard basket and just say, well, if people in India want to buy the game, they can buy it on Amazon like anyone else. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, just a, I guess, a, a, I know we're jumping around all over the place at the moment, but you talk about um, that Matcom as your story or, or helping you with the story running, um, mm -hmm. I think is, is going to be very um, probably helps answer this question, but um, uh, do you see, do you have any key phantom tropes or elements that are non-negotiables for you that you sort of, you must have in the game, in the finished product? Uh, um, you've talked a lot about the morality of the character, which, you know, fills, fills me with confidence, um, but are there, there those sorts of things that you really want to, you just, you, they're just a must-have for you? Yeah, well, before we Matt and I started working together, I sent him a very basic rundown and we had a chat about it on the phone actually about the core things i wanted in there and that was all sort of the geo stuff i wanted to make sure a phantom covered a certain amount of space not only to fulfill fans epic kind of like expectations of like seeing the phantom in their own particular region but also um a, a, an aesthetic visual difference shift in the game which a lot of these side scrollers don't have you know fight through a city you know changes in terms of like where your location is in the city and things like that or a subway or up above ground or on the on the docks or whatever the case may be but i wanted something a bit more grand and a bit more epic so that was one of the requirements the morality clause was a big requirement not before we'd even gotten all the information from king features i wanted something in there that um helped people connect with the, the character that they had in the comic books because like I said, it's easy just to throw the Phantom into a room and ask and ask players to beat up a bunch of people. But that's meaningless. You know, there's got to be something behind that that links back to the comics. And so Matt and I had probably three or four calls after that and he did a, an, an initial early draft and it was good, but it still didn't have that aspect to it that I really wanted that morality clause in there um, and, to, and that the draw, back, the draw card from the the comic book to the game was just not there yet and then we had a conversation and he'd written something and it literally it it, it gave me chills it was so good and i said that's it that's what i want and we fleshed it out a bit more and i was like two minutes away from picking up my son from uh from childcare. so i had to like you know pull myself out of like this like dizzy haze of excitement about this game and, and, and talk to a toddler again. But it, <laughs> it was, yeah, he, he's, he's knocked it out of the park, I think, in terms of what was required of him for this. And, you know, it's difficult because, you know, he's not written for a video game before. And I would argue that most people who do write video games are terrible at writing comics. So uh, you've got to really find that nice balance and someone who can translate it. And I think he's done that exceptionally well. 
Um, there were a couple of other things in there, like I wanted Diana in there and I, want, I wanted their bond, but the two of them uh, to, to have a strong bond in, in the storyline that would translate into the game as well. Um, I wanted the Phantom to feel like he's part of a world and not just dropping a character into a scene and asking him to, to belt people up. Um, it needed to feel like there was a consistent flow through it that met with who the, the character is in the comics. I think Matt has done that. He's knocked it out of the park. Hmm. Some of his Australianism, I'm like, did they even speak that though in the 30s? It sounds too, like, it sounds too TikTok. But no, no he's right. I, you know, we did some more research into it, and, and yeah, there's some, there's some great stuff in there. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier about, like, when you're comparing Phantom to, like, your DC and your Marvel characters about um, there being an innocence in the Phantom's world. Um, how do you feel that um, that will translate in your game? Good question. The ending is where you're going to see it. And I cannot give a single thing away about the ending, but the there will be some tropes in there that you see in, in side-scrolling beat-em-ups. And then there'll be, you'll be drawn into the story as you go. And the innocence of the story, let me just say this, the story has a lot to do with lineage and family. And I know as a dad, I'm, I'm, I've only been a dad for a few years. That sort of stuff hits home. And it's prevalent in the comics from day one. And it would be very easy to ignore those sorts of things. But that's a, it's a very strong narrative point throughout the game. Family, lineage, generations, it all comes into play. And then the ending is gangbusters. Like, I just, I, I can't begin. Like, like I said, they gave me chills. We Matt and I fle fleshed it out. And once we put it down, I was like, that's it, we've got it. And I'm hoping that um, fans will get as much out of it as, as we have just in writing it. And we'll be sharing the story in its entirety on launch, a few days after launch, so people can sort of see. We're going to do a little bit of a YouTube playthrough of the game, and we're going to talk about the decisions we made at various points in the playthrough and how the story oh, integrates nice. with the play. Um, so people don't necessarily have to play through it a couple of times to see the endings, but uh, it's it's a corker. It really is. Awesome. I hope that gives enough away, does it? No, no, I think that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, lineage and generations. Let's let's talk about father, son, lineage and generations. It's a big part of the Phantom. And I think I think that plays to and it's a big part of Batman too, to a certain extent. Um, but obviously Fandom did it earlier and did it better. Um, we, you know, the, the whole father, son and, and lines of generations, I think is is critical and that's what we've got. I think it adds to the simplicity of it. I mean, the Phantom's mortal and we all know he's mortal. We've seen all the Phantoms before him and it's that mortality It's that's, it, that leads to the simplicity, I think. Because you know you lose the simplicity when a character can do anything. Like look at look at half of the Marvel characters. You don't feel anything because you know they can survive almost everything. Yeah. So with the Phantom, you knew his limitations at the start, and that's what makes him so powerful. It's the simplicity of those limitations. Yeah. I'm so excited. When, when wow. See this. When when can we see some images or some gameplay footage? Oh. Images will be coming in the next fortnight. I will be able to release a full Phantom character sheet so you can see the vast majority of his moves, how he looks like while he moves, 
Uh, and then we'll be looking at the end of the month for very first um, teaser in-game uh, images. <laughs> so we're not too far off. Yeah, we, I mean, we've only got a year to make this. So literally every month is, <laughs> there's got to be big things happening every month, basically. Yeah. But like I said, we've spent the whole month just trying to get the Phantom, the Phantom running, walking, jumping, even the detail of him, how he pulls out his guns and how he puts his guns back in his holsters. Everything like that is meticulously being like frame by frame has gone through myself, my animators, then through to Anthony, then back to me. And because that's the most important thing is like if the Phantom doesn't feel legit, I mean, you know, the, the 2040 game on the Super Nintendo was fine, but the, the stilted animation just never felt like the Phantom, you know. Uh, so that's what we're going for. It needs to feel Phantom. Oh, wow. Actually, you got right. twice the work because you're doing it for Diana as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> From a production timeline point of view, Diana will be done in really small segments across the, the, the entirety of the year because once we've got the Phantom and all of his actions and everything in there, Diana's will be variations of those actions. Yep. So we can spend a little bit more time with her throughout the year, but we had to get the fan looking right early on because I think the fans looked at it and thought, oh, my God, he's too bulky or he's too much like Spider-Man or he's got superpowers. What's going on? That's the sort of stuff we wanted to nail down early on and make sure that fans were like, okay, these guys are taking it seriously. Yep. Um, and we have. I mean, rarely in our history of 10 years have we spent an entire month talking, debating, you know, hundreds of threads about how a character should look and move. Um, are you enjoying that extra level of depth? Oh, 100%. 100%. Last night I sent the, the first... So all of the frames I set up in a, in a little sequence last night and sent them back to Anthony and said, hey, man, this is looking really great. Here's what you've been working on in its entirety. Here's a fan running here. He's walking, he's jumping, he's pulling his guns out. And it looks a million dollars, even just as black and white line art. <clears throat> and um, I showed my dad, who, who spent 20 years not knowing what I do for a living. But <laughs> <laughs> ain't on the fandom, he's taking an interest. Yeah, and, and even he was like, oh, I understand how you're doing things now. Um it's we're working in such a, a traditional way that, that uh, my, my dad can understand it, which is <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, awesome. So, um, yeah. Wow. So when you said about all the images and the gameplay footage, that's all going to be posted on your on the website and the social We'll give it to you guys a couple of days earlier. For and, our patrons, yeah, for your patrons, and um, there's a reason to sign up if you're not already a patron. <laughs> and then what we'll do is we'll be releasing it on uh, all our socials first, and then sort of mid year we're going to be updating the teaser website to have actual screenshots and videos and things. You're going to be seeing a few videos from me personally talking about things as I go. I'm not an orator by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but this is going to be a good chance for me to get in front of the screen and talk about things because I think it's important that uh, particularly people who play a lot of video games but don't know what goes into the production and how much, you know, gets invested in people's lives. I mean, this is this is my life for the next year and a half and there's a certain big chunk of, of, of this riding, you know, uh, the success of our company rides on, on the back of this. So... You know, I want to make sure people understand what's going into it and the fun that we're having, but also the 
you know, just the lengths that we're going to to make sure that the character is treated with respect and, you know, all the little subtle nuances that we're going for. Yeah. Well, don't say stuff short in your oracy because um, anyone who's listening and not not even watching the video can should be able to hear the passion that's coming through in your voice. On, oh, on, thanks, on man. This project. Mm-hmm. How yeah, many well, hours are you spending on this at the moment, Ash? How many hours? Yeah, a day. Uh, well, do you go to sleep? <laughs> Anthony's obviously based in the US. I've just come back from the US after spending 10 weeks there. Because uh, my 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 wife is um, American, so I've got my in laws are all, all American as well. So I will I'll probably do a sixteen hour day at this stage. Yeah, and then it's broken into two shifts. So I'll do a day shift when my son is at school, and then I'll do bedtime stories and play games and things after he gets you know over night time, and then I'll do another night shift and talk to my team in the US and um, my team in the UK and. You know, the, we've always operated with people all around the world working on projects, even during our 10-year stint with with Viacom. So it's where the, the style of how we're getting this game made from the sense of lots of different people collectively working on this game and then feeding it all through one central hub is the same as how we've done things always. Um, but there, I wouldn't be able to do 16-hour days if I didn't have the same level of passion as I do for The Phantom. I mean... Yeah. Uh, we also have a, a, a back project from last year that we're still wrapping up uh, for the ABC, uh, which is still finishing up. So we're, we're, I'm doing a fair bit of time on that as well, just to try and get that across the line because it was supposed to be finished in December and now it's running through until February. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's at least a 16-hour day. Two eight-hour shifts roughly with a little bit of a break. I'm lucky because my wife takes me care of my son in the morning, so I do have that ability to sleep in a little bit. <laughs> um, and also with everyone being overseas, there's kind of like that little bit of a, a gap in the, in the Australian morning where the US is wrapping up for the night, so you do have a little bit of time when no one's harassing you. Um, but most of it, I, I'm one of these people who has always been um, a night owl, to say it nicely. A zombie, if I was to put it correctly. <laughs> Um, which means my creative juices flow from about nine o'clock at night and finish up at 2 a.m. and I regret the next day until it becomes <laughs> nine o'clock the next night. <laughs> you know, it's 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 part of the creative kind of like, you know, lots of people who have addicts, they're addicted, they're addicted to certain things. And, you know, I'm lucky that sugar and working is my, are my only two at this stage. Um, <laughs> and the phantom. And well, oh, yeah, of course, of course. But, you know, the sugar feeds into the work, which feeds into the phantom. So it's all like this big, nasty circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, I'm amazed, shocked, wowed at what you've given us tonight. Um, so are we. And look, we, we found out other people had pitched. We found out other bigger companies had pitched, but they didn't have anything behind it. Mm. So uh it's amazing to me that we've got this across the line i don't there isn't a single hour of of the day that i think to myself okay i can just get something across the line here it's i don't take it for granted i i know the fan base i i know i know the brand and i know how important it is that whatever we put out needs to be at a certain level because it needs to lead on to something bigger and and um you know, it needs to support 
the phantom moving forward. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, look, um, I don't know about I don't know about uh, Dan, Steve. If you've got any more questions, but I, yeah, that's I oh. did not expect. I expected a lot more no comments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very trying to very be as clear as yeah. I want people to trust us. I want people to say, right, these guys know what they're doing, and and uh, you know. I'm not saying that there won't be mistakes along the way, but we're certainly putting everything we've got into this and um, talking to you guys was was the very first thing we wanted to do. Oh. Uh, and the the Australian fan base has obviously been there from a very early point, so we're very wary of that. But uh, we also do need to reach out to everyone across the globe and get the word out that, that uh, this is happening. We're very serious. Yeah. Oh, look, I... Just hearing in the last ten minutes about your work day and the and uh, the level of commitment you've got to this, I'm I'm really grateful that you've reached out to us, um, Ash, and that you've taken the you know couple of hours out of your day to talk to us and and, and to talk. Pleasure is all mine. Um, no, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for the 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 year you've already put into it and the eighteen months that is to come. Um, it's uh, and and thank you for letting being as transparent and letting everyone in on the journey because I think it's um, a, a wonderful opportunity that we've all got to to get behind you and support it and um, you know hopefully all enjoy playing through what's uh, what sounds like a really fun and um, authentic game. Um, Thanks, Dan. But- Appreciate it, mate. And if any time over this next eighteen months you ever want to pop on again and have a chat and. You know, talk of all things Phantom game. Oh, mate, there's at least two good. more sessions in this. At least two. Uh-huh. <laughs> at like least. Uh, possibly more if we get any inkling of um, expression of interest from uh, Billy. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sure, like, we've, you've, well, you've answered a, a plethora of questions yeah. and even ones we didn't even have written down. Um, so if any fans have got any other questions that we didn't, here today or didn't hear um answered so there's a chance you know in a few months time hopefully that um you know we'll be able to put, put them uh forward to you oh yeah, yeah and let's let's get the community involved with things like the cover art too let's start all that sort of stuff up we'll, i'll be chatting to you guys more offline about what we can do yeah, yeah. for sure you've um the sorry remind me of the the website is it the phantomgame.com the phantomgame.com yep and so it's pretty simple at the moment. There's just the, the animated... Super simple. There's just the sign-up there to register your interest and yeah. some of Anthony's awesome work with some animation in there just to sort of give people a, a little bit of an idea of the level of art we want in this game. And, and, and then over the course of the next year, that's going to keep evolving as we go. We'll throw up images and things like that on there as well. But the socials is where it's going to be mainly happening. Right, okay. What, what's your socials handle? Would it be the Phantom Game or is it out of... Uh, it's all a phantom game. Uh, I'll, I'll have to get you guys to post those on your link because I don't know off yes. the top of my head each each individual one. Yeah. So the, in the show notes, there will be all there'll be the web link to the website, the hashtag, the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah. Um, handles as well. Uh, um, Facebook is actually Phantom Game oh, yeah. Official. Do you have it? You mentioned phantom TikTok. Game official. Do you have a TikTok account? Yes, I will have a TikTok account because I have become quite addicted to it over the last six months or so. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think it'd be good to have some of the animation and some of the me waffling on um, at various points. I think that'll that'll be definitely on the cards. Does that mean that we all have to uh, join TikTok now? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's 
once you do though, man, it's like a it's the wormhole of destruction. It'll, it'll suck you right in. Yeah. Yep. Oh, here it is, the Phantom Game. Very good. Well, Steve will be your first subscriber. How often do you reckon the uh, notifications will come out for people who do sign up through the website? We're trying to do at least email uh, newsletters at least once a month, and we're trying to do at least one post a fortnight on social media. Yep. Um, obviously, we can't have it distracting from the actual making of the game, so we've got to try and work out that nice balance. <laughs> you know, where what we're showing is not having we're not having to cultivate things to show online. It can just be as easy as. Here's something we've already done. Look, look at this. Move on, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're trying to be more active on social. I mean, obviously, working for Viacom for ten years, they handled all that sort of stuff. We didn't have to bat an eyelid. You know, once a game is made, it, it, the 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 men, the big machine sort of took control of it, and did, they did their work. So, yeah. um, but you know, we're slowly getting used to the the need for studios like us to sort of just explain things and talk about what we're doing and get people invested because we're all invested and we think um, we're hoping some of that will rub off yeah 100 awesome excellent well i don't know about anyone else but i am even more excited after speaking with you yeah he's uh, not shaking anymore steve at least <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know if I could have the amount of energy that I've, that um, has been exuded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been so exciting. Uh, oh. Yeah, I yeah. Let's let's keep in touch. Like I said, there's a, there's at least another couple of podcasts in this. Awesome. Um, you'll see me gradually get more dishevelled as the year passes. <laughs> My hair's looking pretty decent at the moment, but it's just going to get worse. Uh, <laughs> that's the process. That is the process. Yeah. Uh, Excellent, guys. Excellent. Well, thank you. Anything else there, fellas, before we do the outro? No. We're all good. Okay. So thanks again, Ash, and we can't wait to, to have you back on. Looking forward to everything that you're going to drip feed out to us. I, I really am. And I, as we were just talking then, I've signed up to the, the fandom game on Facebook, and I can't wait to see everything you put on there. Um, so for everyone, I hope you've really enjoyed it. I hope you're ex excited about this game as we are. Um, if you've had any fears about who are these people, who's Ash, what the heck's going on, I hope they've been allayed. You can hear the, as I mentioned before, you can hear the passion in Ash's voice. You can see the, the body of work um, that he's got behind him and the amount of effort that he's actually putting into the game, working 16-hour days, my God. At some time, you, I'm sure they'll work into a 48-hour day the way he's going at the moment. Yeah, 48 hour day, dead by that sort of thing. <laughs> um, so, if you have any um, any ideas for questions you'd like us to ask Ash next time, or if you've got any other suggestions about people you'd like to um, like us to interview or even re-interview, please contact us. You can either contact us on our socials or you can contact us at our website, chroniclechamber.com, our email at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Um, if you want to be notified of new articles, ensure that you either follow us on our social or sign up with your email address. And you'll be emailed as soon as something new is posted on our website. You can't miss the pop-up. It's in the bottom right-hand corner. Every time you go to the website, it pops up even for us. Um, I better just sign up instead of... And do not forget, if you want early access to all the stuff that Ash has just been talking about, Sign up as a Patreon. You will get it. 
don't know how much earlier, but you'll get it earlier than everybody else will, at least a few days. That's always bragging, right? Um, you can subscribe to us via YouTube or through your favourite podcast apps, including iTunes or Spotify. Happy family. Happy family, all. Thanks, everyone.